Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Aerospace News Roundup. This is for the week of November 16th to 22nd. Before getting started, we would like to send a special thanks to our good friends at GoTaikonauts and at Spacewatch.Global, two excellent sources for not just China, but in some cases, global space news. This week, we're going to bring you updates on the launch of a Tiantong satellite, another funding round from one of China's premier commercial satellite manufacturers, yet another space company, uh, commercial launch company emerging from another province. Uh, but first, Jean is going to give us uh, a break rundown of a Chinasat 16 5G test. Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored to welcome you aboard the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. Thank you. Jean, take it away on the ChinaSat 16 5G test. So the first piece of news this week is about um, ChinaSatcom announcing that it com completed a 5G test. Uh, with its um, HTS um, KA band satellite China Sat 16 that was launched in 2017 or 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this test was done in collaboration with Huawei, uh, who, as we know, is quite big in um, all the 5G uh, base stations on the ground, but they're also quite good with the um, terminals, the phones, the 5G phones themselves. And also this was done in collaboration with China Mobile, which is one of the three big telcos um, of China. So the actual test basically was a 5G satellite backhaul test. So it was connecting um, basically China Mobile's 5G wireless base station presumably uh, Huawei technology, to the 5G core um, network. And this was done through ChinaSat 16. Um, so the test included file transfer, um, vo voice calling, as well as um, high definition video on demand. And I think this is quite a breakthrough also for China SATCOM and for, for China 5G in general for several reasons. The first one is that, um, well, for we know that for 5G there is a coverage issue in remote areas. Uh, also noting that um, you know 5G the frequency of 5G is higher than 4G, meaning that higher fre frequency usually means um, you have a lower coverage area for a given base station compared to lower frequencies. And this just shows that potentially we could have coverage of remote areas, which was an issue for for 4G. Um, and the second interesting point also is that we see China SADCOM diversifying um, its scope of activity um, into 5G backhauling. And um, they did a, a little bit of 4G backhauling as well in the past with the three uh, Chinese telcos. But um, I think this is also more generally a global uh, problem for a lot of um, China, uh, for satellite operators in general that are impacted by the drop of the satellite TV activity and that are more and more trying to diversify into other activities to to catch up um, with this drop of activity. So Blaine, I, I don't know how big satellite TV is within the scope of China SATCOM, but I, I presumably they have some. Yeah, so I mean, certainly to your point, this is a, a an indicative of a more global trend, which is to say, we have seen now for probably five or 10 years, satellite capacity becoming cheaper on a per gigabit per second basis. And this has been in particularly, uh, in particular true relative to terrestrial connectivity. So for example, if we think about what it would have cost to lay a terrestrial fiber line 10 years ago versus now, those costs are, are relatively similar in terms of, um, it, it still involves a lot of the same processes. In terms of a satellite, you've seen a 
sort of 100 times increase roughly in, in amount in the sort of cost per gigabit per second. So you're seeing much, much cheaper bandwidth. And this is now, um, to your point, it's particularly important as networks are becoming, um, I guess, the, the cells are becoming smaller. So you're having lower, you know, smaller amounts of coverage for each, each individual backhaul uh, tower. And as you're seeing the average person requiring more bandwidth or expecting more bandwidth. And um, in, it's interesting because in China, I mean, I've been to some pretty rural parts of China and the 4G coverage remains quite good. Um, now, I mean, I have not been to like the top of Mount Everest uh, or, you know, par parts of the, the Himalayas on the Chinese side, I, I have not been. I, I presume the 4G there is, is less good. But um, in general, I mean, the, the terrestrial connectivity in China is really, really good. Um, now, to your question about sort of satellite TV and how big of, of, a, of a role is, is that for China Satcom, um, it's, it's quite large in the sense that China Satcom has a monopoly in China for satellite TV. I mean, there's basically, there's a bunch of provincial satellite television channels that are being broadcast and China Satcom broadcasts all of them, or they would use APT satellite capacity uh, for some of that, but then they're basically buying it from APT and then reselling it. So you have a situation where China Satcom for a long time has had a pretty good stable business of broadcasting like provincial TV stations. Uh, those TV stations are now starting to face some degree of financial pressure because, you know, there's a lot of people that are no longer watching linear TV, even in China. And so now, to your point, China Satcom is needing to diversify and go into things like mobility. So you've seen a lot more emphasis on maritime and on IFC and on 5G or, again, 4G as well. And it's interesting because with ChinaSat 16, to your point, it was launched in April of 2017. And they've really, they, China Satcom has struggled to, I think, to fill this satellite. Um, at the very beginning, when it was launched, China Satcom made a deal with Gilot, which is an Israeli satellite uh, t uh, ground equipment manufacturer, really interesting, innovative company. They do a lot of things in different markets. And they're one of the relatively few foreign companies to have some degree of success in China. And they basically had a deal with China Satcom to develop a bunch of different KA band applications for China Sat 16 and for the subsequent China Sat 18, which was meant to launch in 2020. 18 or 2019 and it failed. So you have a situation now where ChinaSat 16 is kind of covering half of China with KA band capacity. ChinaSat 18 was meant to cover the other half, but again, that, that failed after launch or at launch. And so um, I don't know how full ChinaSat 16 is now. And certainly um, I don't, you know, COVID probably did not help in terms of IFC adoption. I know that China has pretty much gone back to normal in a lot of areas, but still I think that the shock to the travel industry would have been quite large. and. I think state-owned airlines were conservative already. Um, so yeah, I mean, cer certainly, I, I guess, uh, to make a long story short, this is definitely an instance of China Satcom trying to diversify and, and fill a satellite that probably is not especially full right now, um, and doing so in, in an interesting way to the extent that they're partnering with a couple of very powerful companies in the value chain, so Huawei and, uh, and China Mobile. Um, one other point I would mention was just the test results in terms of speeds. I don't think you, you mentioned before, so 90 megabits per second was the download speed, 3.5 megabits per second upload speed, which sounds quite respectable, uh, and then a ping of 700 uh, milliseconds, because, you know, geo is still quite far. So uh, three quarters of a second, it's probably not ideal for live uh, streaming or for, you know, playing uh, online games, but um, it, can, uh, it can work. So uh, anything else, John, on China Set 16, or shall we move over to Tiantong? Uh, let's move to Tiantong and your mention of alternative services to um, um, to alternative services to Ally TV is a, is a great segue. So Tiantong One, well Tiantong Dash One 
space O2, uh, is a geostationary satellite that was put into orbit by a Long March 3B on November the 12th. And Tiantong-1 is a geostationary satellite constellation. It can be considered as uh, what they call China's um, response um, to other global narrowband constellations such as um, Inmarsat, Thuraya, and also others, Iridium, um, although that would be lower Earth orbit. Um, and basically what this sort of communication is, what narrowband is, is um, as opposed to satellite broadband uh, frequencies such as Ka and Ku, this is these are lower frequencies. These are uh, narrow bandwidths, and this generally means that um, we're we're talking about speeds that are um, we're talking basically about dozens of kilobits per second or hundreds of kilobits per second. So that's that's slow. You're definitely not going to do live streaming with this sort of uh, narrow band service. But you know it's sufficient for a lot of applications, such as, um, for example, voice communication. It can also be used to transmit um, very small data, typically, for example, tra tracking information or machine-to-machine -machine, um, data. It can also be used, uh, for example, for short messages. So a lot of applications, and it also has one major advantage um, it regarding regarding the fact that it has narrow bandwidths. It usually means that antennas and the terminal itself can be much more compact. So when you think of applications such as a satellite phone, definitely you would want to go for this type of bandwidth and not like basically, I don't think a K-band um, satellite phone that would hold in your hand is is technologically um, possible. So um, they so this is an important piece of news because this shows that um, there is a new, there, there's a growing challenge to Thuraya and Inmarsat, these two companies having significant markets in China. Um, Although I would add that Tiantong One is not a full-fledged challenge just yet to these um, two companies. Uh, I mean, the first fact is that it doesn't have a global coverage. They launched the first Tiantong One satellite, the Tiantong Dash One Hundred One satellite was launched in 2016. They want they launched the second satellite, um, so last week on the 12th of November, and the final satellite will be launched next year. It's the Tiantong Dash One Hundred Three, and together these three satellites will cover. Um, China, the Western Pacific that's bordering China, as well as Southeast Asia. And the last satellite that's to be launched next year will be, will be covering the Middle East and Central Asia. So basically you have a broad coverage of the Belt and Road countries. Um, so still not, still not a global coverage, but definitely um, a coverage of areas where Chinese companies are more and more active. And there is also a discussion, although this, this is not confirmed of launching a Tiantong-01-04, and 05 in 2023 and 2025. And this would probably mean, I, I would guess, a, a global coverage. Now, I think the challenge for uh, the Raya and Inmarsat and others is twofold. So the first one is a lot of the Chinese customers of these two companies um, would be, I would guess, state-owned companies such as, or state-linked companies uh, such as CIMC um, and other companies. And these very possibly could make the switch um, to Tiantong One services. So that's the first point. And the second point um, is that I think ch the Chinese would be quite aggressive in terms of um, you know the the pricing policy for their bandwidth. There was something in the article that we'll we'll link here in the in the YouTube video on um, paying a thousand RMB per month for this service. Although there wasn't any detail on what you'd get for that amount, um, but that does um, sound quite competitive. And also that I at least that's how the national narrative goes, is that the Chinese would be extremely competitive also in terms of terminals, uh, notably ground terminals uh, may be on the ground on, on you know, like on, on a car or maybe for uh, maritime applications. Um, and you have companies like CTC that are very active in making all kinds of um, 
um, terminals for this sort of um, narrowband application. So I think definitely a growing challenge and competition for the narrowband global service providers um, in, I'd say, the next four or five years. Do, do you have any thoughts on the Tiantong One constellation, Blaine? Um, well, you covered it pretty pretty well. Just a couple of other points. Um, well, I guess one other point. So it, it reminds me. Uh, so uh, I don't know if Theraya has since gotten market access, but I remember uh, some few years ago um, when Theraya had not yet gotten market access to China. And again, they might still not have it. I don't know. Um, but they they were being sold on on Taobao sort of illegally, like Theraya um, sat phones, and it was just kind of. Uh, it was not being sold by Thraya. It was being sold by sort of you know some reseller who bought it elsewhere. But it's just interesting that um, you know, this this service that is was not allowed. It was this gray market that was kind of allowed on, on Taobao, and uh, that was I guess back in like the sort of 2016, 2017 days when that sort of thing was probably a bit easier to do. Um, but yeah, certainly th those I, those types of, of businesses will become more difficult as the Chinese uh, versions of you know, Tiantong, as it were, uh, comes into the market. Yeah. I remember at some point seeing China Mobile commercializing some Theraya terminals, although that mm. was a while ago, and I don't know to what extent that was that was you know a big thing. But I, I know that a lot of Chinese companies are using Theraya, but abroad. So basically, um, not not directly in China, but in mm. when they're in other maritime areas outside of China. That makes sense. Yeah, because they've, they've got a. I remember Theraya, they, uh, that was one of the first product launch events they ever went to. They had what's called the Sat Sleeve, which was like a thing that you could put on your iPhone and you turn your iPhone into a Theraya satellite phone, basically. So you just have a standard iPhone and then inside your iPhone, there was an app, like, you know, the Theraya app. And so you could then just go into the app and you have a satellite phone. So it was pretty, back at like Satellite 2013, I think, in Washington, D.C., they had their product launch for that. That was, that was good fun. Um, so uh, onward now to, uh, to Galaxy Space, unless you have any more information on, on Tiantong. All good. Galaxy Space, quite possibly the possibly the most valuable Chinese commercial space company after this most recent funding round. So the company announced a funding round last week. They did not announce the amount of the funding round. However, they did announce the company's valuation at the time of the funding round, which was 8 billion yuan. So it's about uh, 1.2-ish, 1 1.15 billion US dollars. So it makes them uh, officially a unicorn. And this is an increase from 5 billion, uh, 5 billion RMB at the most recent funding round prior to this, which was in September 2019. So we've seen an increase of 60% um, of in company valuation over the course of one year. And again, they are now a unicorn. Um, noteworthily, I think, so this round of funding, there were a number of, of investors. Several of them were return investors that were quite high profile. So the two most noteworthy ones would be Shunwei, which is the uh, venture capital uh, firm of, of Lei Jun, the CEO of Xiaomi. And they're very actively involved in a lot of different sort of like IoT and, and 5G broadband kind of plays. Um, and then Matrix China. Uh, and then also one other VC called Chaos China, which I wanted to give them a special shout out because that's just a great name for a venture capital firm, Chaos China. That's that is excellent. Uh, the other noteworthy investor from this round, however, was the um, the Nantong, uh, sort of the Nantong Science uh, um, Entrepreneurs Fund kind of things, so the Nantong He Zhuang Ziben. And so they basically, um, I'm sorry, Nantong Nantong He Zhuang Ye and so this uh, Nantong is it's the Nantong city government, essentially. So Nantong is the city where Galaxy Space is building their so-called super factory, which is meant to produce between three and five hundred satellites per year. And Nantong, it's a city in uh, I'm going to say Jiangsu. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, no, it should be Jiangsu. Um, and it's a relatively yeah. wealthy, relatively wealthy city. It's about sixteen thousand dollars. Sorry, fourteen thousand dollars per capita GDP as far back as 2016. So quite developed. And it's interesting because we've seen a lot of different 
provincial or city level VC funds invest into the new space companies that are building something in their town or province. So like Hujo with Landspace or like several companies in the Sichuan area. Uh, but I think with Nantong, it appears at least at first glance that their sort of city level VC is somewhat more used to investing in high tech or otherwise high risk and sophisticated industries. So for example, I had a look around the website of this VC and they have a lot of investments already in things like biotech or e-health, this, this sort of thing. Um, and I guess it's not terribly surprising when you consider that Nantong, again, it would have been rather developed already, say 10 years ago. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> again, I, I could imagine the, the provincial or city level venture capital firms there just being a bit more um, mature might be a little bit unfair to those in other provinces, but basically a bit more, let's say, mature than um, than than their their counterparts in some of these parts of China that would have developed more recently. Um, so, yeah, I think this is definitely it's another example, as we've continuously discussed, this example of, of provincial governments helping the commercial space companies that are setting up in their their city or province. Um, and, and yeah, we have China's uh, first you know, officially saying they are a unicorn. I don't know to what extent we can take their word for that, but hey, they, they said it, so I am not going to. Came straight from the unicorn's mouth, as it were. Jean, anything to add uh, on your side about uh, the Galaxy Space fundraising? Hmm. I think they, they announced um, at some point that they had an annual capacity of 300 to 500 satellites, right? Um, and, and so just some food for thought. Um, their constellation, the Galaxy constellation, is about 900 satellites. So this annual capacity either is total overkill, I think, for the Galaxy constellation. Either they're planning to um, provide these satellites to another constellation or constellations S, with a pl so plural. Either they're anticipating, you know, an increase of the size of the Galaxy constellation. Like Starlink started out with 12,000 satellites, now it's a 42,000 satellite constellation. So either way, I yeah, I think that this this um, very big um, capacity of of satellites annually is a pre-announcement of something that will be uh, either yeah something that's pretty big. I, I would guess. So just two other things on this uh, on this point, and then we will move into our uh, last real news item of the day. Uh, so I guess the one point is in the press release of announcing this B plus funding round, they did not at any point mention the the Galaxy constellation that you mentioned. So they, they I mean they planned this constellation for some year, well you know, since they were founded, but I, I've been noticing that over the last say year to year and a half in their press releases, they have not really explicit, explicitly said, oh, we have this galaxy constellation plan. It's been more, uh, we plan to manufacture many hundred satellites for some plan. Um, the other thing I would mention, last point about this, uh, this announcement, is that they did note that their second uh, satellite is in the final stages of assembly. So Galaxy Space launched their first demonstration satellite at the beginning of this year, I believe. And their second one, again, final stages of assembly. So we're kind of, uh, you know, we're on the lookout. I don't know if it's any day now or any week now or any month now, um, but, you know, good luck to Galaxy Space. Uh, okay, so moving into our last uh, kind of real news topic of the, of, the, of the week, we have the emergence of yet another commercial launch company from yet another province that up to this point, uh, as far as I know, did not have its own commercial launch company. And that is the emergence of Shandong Space or Shandong Yuhang. Uh, Shandong Yuhang, they posted a series of job vacancies on a WeChat account of the Shandong Institute of Space Technology. Uh, they do not appear to have their own website. There's, there's not a whole lot of additional information available about Shandong Yuhang 
Uh, however, we do know that, uh, well, we note that they are hiring uh, for positions such as sort of a general rocket designer kind of person, which is to imply it seems like that they are building a, a, a sort of systems level rocket as opposed to focusing on some subsystems level element of a rocket. Um, and at some point, if you know, I, I would like to do the math of how many provinces now have their own rocket company, but probably Shandong would have been the sort of the largest and most developed province to not have its own rocket company. So Shandong has over 100 million people and it's relatively well developed. I would guess it's probably the third or fourth largest provincial GDP in China, if I had to guess, um, which would probably put it at something around, uh, let's say, 1.2 to 1.5 trillion US dollars per year. Um, so yeah, big place, big economy, and uh, you know, do they need their own rocket company? Who knows? But they have one, so that's good. Um, Jean, anything from you on Shandong Space, or are we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, when you sent me that link on Shandong Space, I, I literally rolled my eyes. Um, it's really becoming a routine yeah. now. One week, one new satellite company. Who knows what will come up next week? Um, I, I, I don't know how these companies are going to commercialize. I mean, this company, they. From the look of the job offers they're proposing, they're really a, they're a new company. They're hiring the entire team. So um, the question is, yep. they're a latecomer. So <laughs> and they don't have the notoriety of an I space or of a X space or a land space, and they don't have any um, launch success story to put forward to any of the future clients. Um, and we know that solid rockets, light lift uh, solid rockets, are really the most crowded market there is in China uh, right now in terms of offer, and we don't know how much. Um, market pull there is going to be for this type of um, this type of launch. So, um, big question mark there, and um, really looking forward to see how this is going to turn out um, in in the coming one or two years. It's pretty crazy how many provincial launch companies there are. It's like, like I, I can't imagine like the state of Arizona ever just saying, you know, we Arizona, we need our own, <laughs> we need our own launcher company. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, the city of Toulouse needs its own launch company. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, so uh, on to our, our last news item of the week, which is a debatably serious news item. So uh, on Twitter earlier this last week, I uh, we saw news of a, a an autonomous KFC truck cart sort of thing driving around Shanghai, whereby one can walk up to this KFC cart and scan the QR code and, and buy some chicken and the door of the cart opens and there's the chicken. And that, that in and of itself is, is pretty astonishing. But then uh, I noticed that this was, it was, there was a 5G advertisement also on this autonomous thing. So you have this, it is a, an autonomous KFC uh, 5G truck sort of thing driving around the suburbs of Shanghai selling the, you know, the, the Shanghainese uh, pre-cooked uh, autonomously driven chicken. And so this is... Uh, yeah, this is life in China in 2020. This is uh, we, this is it. We, yeah, Jean, we, any, we any thoughts? We definitely have to put a picture of that on the YouTube video yeah, of that yeah. truck. I'm going to um, hunt it down. I, I, have a fe- <laughs> I have a feeling that this 5G keyword is really overused in China. And, um, you know, last week we, t- we spoke about a 5G satellite being launched and how there was a controversy of the satellite actually not being, uh, not sorry, a 6G satellite last week being launched. And there's a controversy of, um, you know, the satellite not being 6G at all. 6G is not being a defined um, telecommunications uh, technology just yet. And there are a lot of sarcastic comments on the Chinese internet saying, you know, um, you know, w- we have 5G satellites, we have 6G satellites, 
We have AI satellites today. Um, at least that's what the company's making them call them. And some comments are saying, hey, we're not, we're just missing a, a blockchain satellite now. Who wants to come up with a blockchain satellite? So I found that <laughs> pretty amusing. Well, and we know a few companies that are trying to do that. So that's uh, good luck to all of them as well. Um, so yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's about it for the news of the week. Uh, so we will be looking forward to uh, posting later this week or next week our very long form interview with Kevin Shu, which I reviewed last night, and I was pretty uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with. It. I think we got some we got some good discussion from Kevin. I'm looking forward to to hearing the community's responses to that. I think Kevin really uh, gave a, a lot of interesting insights to. I don't know what was it like to be going into Chinese commercial space five years ago, and now what? What? Where? How has it changed in that five years? That's a crazy thing to hear somebody talk about this, in you know, like saying, "Oh yeah, when I went to Landspace, uh, there was one graduate at Landspace. Now we're getting hundreds of applicants per year." It's like, wow. It's... So be on the lookout for that. But in the meantime, uh, this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour Aerospace News Roundup for the week of November sixteenth to twenty second. Uh, we look forward to seeing you next week, which is the last week of November, and. Uh, Anything else, John, from your side? Are we all good? I am all good. Great. Thank you all for listening. We look forward to interacting with you soon. Have a good day. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye.